The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. And I uh, appreciate our worship team uh, without Meg today, our pianist, uh, filling in and, and helping out. It's always a blessing to hear from it, so thank you very much. As you turn to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, and uh, we are finishing up uh, the Last Supper tonight, or at least part of it, as we continue our journey through the book of Mark. Uh, if it's been a while, if you're visiting with us, we've been in about a two, two and a half year study, verse by verse, thought for thought. Uh, chapter for chapter, whatever you call it, through the book of Mark, uh, the purpose of which we want to know more about the ministry of Jesus as we go forward as a church and we go forward to reach our uh, lives around us as well. And I ask for your grace this morning. I am coming out of sickness yesterday, so my voice and my everything's a little off today. So uh, uh, if I sound scratchy, I probably am. Thank you for your grace, and thank you once again to all those uh, people who helped yesterday at the uh, uh, church cleanup day. It was so good to have. And church, I just want to let you know, too, that as we continue forward, we're going to keep uh, giving you more information about this, but we have a lot of major projects coming up we'd like to tackle. We won't be able to do them all at once, but will you prayerfully consider how God might use you in that time? Mark chapter 14, verses 17 through 21. Well, uh, I, I confess this guy is long dead, and he probably doesn't have much relevance to us, but he has much relevance to our topic today. William Tyndale, is anyone familiar with this, this guy? Uh, Tyndale House gets their name from him if you're used to that. But William Tyndale was an Englishman, and he was the first to translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English and making the Bible for the common man. And in 1535, he was betrayed by a very close friend. He was taken to the castle at Vilford and continued his work of translation, but unable uh, to finish his work, though, because he was sentenced to a heretic's death. He was, he was hanged at the stake and burned on October 6th of 1536, and at his death, he said these famous last words, Lord, open the king of England's eyes, and then he died. And within a year, within a year, the king's eyes were open to the truth of the scripture for the very things that this man, William Tyndale, was sentenced to. But it brings up a question for us. Have you ever, like William Tyndale, been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed? Maybe it was a friend that betrayed you by failing to keep a confidence or by turning their back on you at, the, at just a time you needed the most. Maybe your husband or your wife betrayed your trust in some way. I don't know, but maybe it was a coworker that betrayed you by using something unethical in their means to get the success they needed to, to, to leapfrog over you to become a better employee to get that promotion you wanted. Or maybe, as it comes out so often these days, sadly, it was a mentor, someone you looked up to for a long time, who betrayed you by behaving in a manner that was completely contradictory to everything they stood up for in life. Regardless of the act of betrayal or the context of the betrayal, betrayal is something that really hurts. In fact, few things in life are ever so painful, are they not, than things that bring pain, frustration, anger, and then betrayal. 
and no one is immune. Even Jesus himself clearly was betrayed, was he not, by Judas himself. And this brings us to a verse from Psalm 41, verse 9, a prophecy fulfilled in our section today, where David writes about this, but it was fulfilled in Christ. He says, even my close friend in whom I've trusted, who I ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And if there's ever anything that we have to admit, it's this. David had Absalom, his very son, betray him. Paul had Demas, who deserted him on his missionary journey. Paul had Alexander the coppersmith, who had done great harm to him. And Jesus had Judas Iscariot, all by the act of betrayal. And, of course, the classic example in secular history is Brutus and Julius Caesar. When at his death, you remember this, don't you, the great Shakespearean play at his death, Caesar says, E tu, Brutus, you too, Brutus. Did you not do the same thing? And we know that he did. We all know Judas did this, but why do we do this? We, why did he do this? I mean, Judas, of all people, he prayed with Jesus, right? He took those loaves of bread that Jesus miraculously gave out and handed it to people. He went and shared the gospel with people. He shared in every miracle that Jesus did. He was even so close to him that he was the treasurer of the bunch. And the mind freezes how intimate friend such as Judas, or at least an acquaintance, could do this very well. Michael Card said it this way in a song. He said, only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain, and only a friend comes close enough to ever cause us so much pain. Friend, this morning, I want to tell you that every betrayal, every sin, everything that has acted does not surprise God. And when we get into this section this morning, looking at this providential betrayal, I want you to know today's big idea, and this is just the thesis of the whole sermon, is that in the end, any act of betrayal, anything that happens to us, is an event that doesn't determine God's plan. In fact, God's plan determines events, and He will use evil to do the opposite what was intended. Despite all the access he had to the Lord, Judas chose to turn his spineless back away from the Lord. And it can be argued he is the most despicable man that ever lived. He was a diabolical disciple. But is it possible for us today to do the same? Is it possible for us today to do such harm to Jesus Christ that we turn our backs on him and say, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm ready to turn you in for whatever the cost we are in danger this morning, and we will look at this in part, that we are in danger of doing the same thing. I mean, maybe you've grown up in church and you know all about the truth. You know all the lessons. You know the sermon. You can preach it yourself. But you're still uncommitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Warning, you are in the same shoes of Judas, potentially. Maybe this is true of a family member or a spouse or a church member or a neighbor, someone in your life. This passage speaks to us so directly today because we are told the very fact that even though evil is committed against the Lord, He always turns it for good, but may we not play a part in that like Judas did. Three things today I want to look at, and I will apologize sort of for the alliteration again. Alliteration is where you take a word and you make the same word, the, the same next word, the same letters. Here's three B's for you today, all right? Take it for what it's worth. Every event in this passage is a divine step in the right way because we're going to see this was the blueprint. We're going to see the betrayal was a divine setup, and we're going to see this fulfills all the prophecy of the Bible in four verses. With that in mind, if you're able, will you stand with me this morning as we read this passage? Just four, five short verses from Mark chapter 14. We will start in verse 17, halfway through, 
as Jesus has told and sent out the disciples. They've got the upper room. It's exactly as they said it would be. And now they're taking the Passover the Thursday night before Jesus came. There's millions of people in Jerusalem. There's, there's lambs being slaughtered everywhere. There's people feasting. It's a joyous time, a time of remembrance. And we pick it up in verse 17 as Mark records it, and he says this. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. That's Jesus came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, the one who's eating with me. They began to be sorrowful, that's, that's the twelve disciples, and say to him, one after the other, Is it I? Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who's dipping the bread into the dish with me, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him that he had not been born at all. Guys, this morning, I want to let you know that if evil has been committed against you, if something has happened against you, if something crazy has gone against you, God knew about it. If you have caused evil in someone else's plan, God can even forgive that evil, but he uses it for good, as we will see here as Judas goes to the very guttural of trying to turn Jesus over to the authorities. And Jesus calls it out, and we're going to unpack how every event is in step with his plan. Will you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father, thank you so much as we come before you. We, Father, we, we want to take a moment to pause and thank you so much, Lord, that we are able to come before you. Lord, we realize we live in a country that has freedoms that are given to us, Father, that every country does not have. We have the freedom to worship freely. Maybe not everyone likes how we worship or what we worship or, Father, to whom we worship. That would be you. But, Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have. And, Father, we do pray that we use them for the glory and advancement of your kingdom, Father. But, Father, we also pray, too, as we look at this passage, that we, like the disciples, would say, Is it I? Father, we thank you that we can never be removed from the faith, Lord. Uh, We can't lose our salvation because we are bought with Christ. But, Father, may we never walk in a way that trips others outside of the faith or inside of the faith in such a way as to deny the faith or turn away from it. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that you are a sovereign God. Nothing passes before you that, Father, you do not know, and there's no maverick molecule, as as a, a great teacher once said. Father, we thank you so much. We pray these things today in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. May be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as we look at this passage this morning, I want you to see clearly that this passage speaks to us about these things. And, and you'll notice first that, that the, the divine blueprint is in, is in view here. This is all according to plan, and that's point number one, according to plan, the blueprint. And as we see this divine blueprint, I want you to see that this is, again, how it's all supposed to happen. If you go back up to verse 16, as you see it there, Jesus has already told them that these things would happen when they prepared the meal, and it says they found it just as he told them. So everything that's happening in this passage is exactly as Christ planned it. The plan is afoot. The the Passover is going to yield the greatest Passover lamb ever. That is Jesus, the Son of God. And and Jesus has sent two of his disciples, and Luke tells us in his gospel, these disciples are Peter and John, and into the city. And it's all planned. It's all organized. It's all going to happen. And I love that because it just reminds us that everything that happens is according to plan. And it says in verse 21, and Jesus has told them before, that he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. And that's the mission he came to be. 
Jesus came to be the Messiah. Jesus came to be the substitute. He came to lay his life down. And you know that later the disciples will look back on this event, uh, six weeks later at Pentecost, and Peter will say this took uh, accordance, this took in place in accordance with the foreknowledge and the determinate counsel of God himself. Guys, I just want you to think about that for a second. We are not fatalists. We do not believe that, that uh, things happen randomly without any cause. We are not uh, deists where God starts the universe and throws it into, out to, to pasture and just leaves it to be. Our God is intimately evolved at every level of every situation in everyone's life. That's really kind of astounding. Because even the CIA, even M5, cannot track every movement of God in this world. Isn't that awesome? Uh, we watched uh, one of those old shows, one of those old spy movies, you know, and they've got the goggles and, you know, their pins like a rocket or something. You do those things. You think, how does everyone not notice? They put on the glasses, they can see everything and everybody. It's weird, it's fun, it's cool. But God already knows all that stuff. He's got all this stuff. He's in charge of all this stuff. And as he prepares to go to the cross, Jesus is going to remind them, this is the plan. An angel can't die for you. Another man can't die for you. I, Christ, the living God, must be the only one who can die for you and give you everything that you need. And Jesus is full of knowledge and absolute control here. And he had had this planned uh, to the very point that they would be in this upper room. And we're not going to compare this, but Jesus has already taught from John 14 to John 17 through this leading up to this time. But he will tell them in John 14, a very familiar passage, he'll tell them in the quietness of the room that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And all of this was planned because these disciples needed to know that when they got out there to share the gospel and people started coming at them for the gospel and persecuting them, that it was going to be okay. Not just okay, it's going to be great because Jesus is with us, the Spirit is with us. And that's why, and Amy, I'll put this up, but one of our greatest sins is impatience with God. Not trusting our sovereign God to do things according to His plan on His time. And that's why it's so important for these disciples to see this. If they had their right and rule, they would, they would just rather jump into whatever Jesus has for them, and they, would, they just want to go after it. But friends, what we need to be reminded of today is that every one of them and every single one of us is in the palms of a sovereign ruler who's to reign as king over heaven and earth. And everything that happens, everything happens according to the plan, all the details. You're here today. Did you know that? If you're just waking up, welcome. You're at Tower View Baptist Church. We're here to know, grow, share, and serve Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're just showing up, I want you to know very clearly that God has placed you here for a reason. Whether you're a member, an attender, a church member, a visitor, God has put you right here at this time. And if you go down to verse 21, Jesus tells you exactly what he came to do. He tells you that the Son of Man goes as it is written about him. Everything that happened right in this little section is exactly how it was played out. Exactly. And it wasn't a moment too late. It wasn't a moment too soon. It was exactly at the time that it had to be. What a word for us today, church. 
This church has done so much awesome work out in neighborhoods, through events, through Wednesday night ministry, through Sunday ministry. We're praying for people to come to Christ. We're, we're planting seeds. We're knocking on doors. We're doing social media outreach. We're beautifying our grounds. But at the end of the day, we have to lay that all at Jesus' feet and say, God, you're God. I'm not. This is yours. Take it. But if we had our right and our reign, we, everyone we share the gospel with would come to Christ right on the moment, right? They would grow right there in the moment, right? They would do all that stuff. And Jesus is reminding the disciples here, even though they might not have seen it in the moment, and he's telling us here today that according to plan, the blueprint was this is how it would happen. Church, I believe our greatest days at Tower View Baptist Church are, are ahead of us. Not because we have a special plan. Not because we have the super secret sauce that you're going to bottle up and sell on late night television. It's because Christ is sovereignly in control. And when we seek him, everything else is going to be just fine. Amen? And that's what we know. Second thing I want you to see, and this is the longer of the two, three points. Not only was it according to plan by the blueprint, but this was according to plan by the betrayal. Did you notice this? It, it, it happens so quickly, but Jesus says, you look back at verse 17, he tells us here what is going to happen. He says, and it was evening, and he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, the one who's eating with me. All right, let's be honest. Why does he not just come out and say, Judas, you're the dude. Judas, you're the man. Why is he not just called Judas out for what Judas is going to do? Why not? Why does he do that? Did you ever think about that? I mean, Judas knows it, doesn't he? Judas knows it, but like we said last week, he's getting the Academy Award for Best uh, Supporting Actor in a play because he goes right along with it. But if you go back up to verse 10 of the same chapter, Jesus has, or Mark has already indicated to us what will happen, and this is what Mark says. He said, then Judas, who is one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him. We know who it is. You know it's going to be Judas. You know the same thing's going to happen. But why does Jesus put it this way? Why doesn't he just come out and say, Judas, I'm disappointed in you. Judas, I expected more of you. Judas, you're a leader. Judas, I chose you to be one of the 12, and you've let everybody down. I mean, wouldn't you do that? I mean, if you're God, wouldn't you just call him out? I mean, God does that all the time. He calls people out. They drop down dead. They wake up alive. Well, why just say it in a general fashion? I mean, that Jesus would begin to say something that, uh, you know, why would he put all the other disciples on edge? Why would, he, why would he make them think it was them? Well, I think Robert Murray Machane, one of the old dead Scottish guys, said it this way. He said, quote, the seeds of every known sin lie within each of our own hearts. Let me say that again. The seeds of every known sin lie within each of our own hearts. And friends, and Amy's going to put this up, we need to remember that 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, we are to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. And that's what protects us from negligence. But equally, 1 Corinthians 4.3 says, when we have become and are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things, we are slandered and we persist. In other words, this protects us from paralysis. So what is Jesus doing here? What is he trying to get off and doing? Jesus is reminding these disciples, guys, that he's in control. But he's also reminding them that they do not take their faith for granted. 
that they do not come out and take their faith for granted. What it is, is that it may not be John who betrayed Jesus, but John was capable of betraying Jesus. It may not have been Peter who betrayed Jesus, but Peter was capable of betraying Jesus. Look, these disciples have just seen everything go according to plan, and there's great confidence. But they need to make sure their confidence is not in what they think they can do, but in who Christ is. Church, we can do a lot of awesome things here. we got some super talented folks, from artists to to guys who can, like, take a piece of wood and make it the coolest thing you can ever see. We've got techno guys and gals who can make our website flashy and who turn on cameras and do all sorts of cool stuff. Look, that's great. But, church, we need to be reminded of this, too. We are never past the point of betraying our Lord even when we are in the faith. That question, is it I, should be something we ask all the time. Because we are never at a place where we can be on autopilot with our faith. In fact, the Spirit of God won't allow that to happen. That we are sons and daughters of God because He brings us to that truth, Hebrews 12 reminds us. So He asks a general question because He wants them to examine their faith. And look, if you're here today, and it's been a while since you've examined your faith, what are you trusting in to get to heaven someday? Are you trusting because you've been a member here or at another church that you're getting to heaven? Are you trusting that Jesus Christ is enough? Look, if you're not a Christian here today, this sounds so weird, but we believe that there's a dead guy that's up in heaven right now praying for us who came back from the dead, and we're going to heaven because of that dead guy. That sounds really funny, doesn't it? Because if you go to a funeral and say, that dead guy's coming alive, they're going to look at you like, what did you eat in your ice cream last night? We believe a man named Jesus lived a perfect life that we could never live and died a death we could never die so that we who are far from him might be brought near him through faith alone in Christ alone. That's weird because that requires something that's not of you. It's not your faith it's, or it's not your uh, sincerity, your goodness, your, 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 your credentials, your resume, your family connections, your money, your, your persona. It's Christ. And that's where we land. So if you're here today and you say, I'm not sure really how I'm getting to heaven, would you talk to one of me or the deacons afterwards? We'd love to meet with you more about this. Second thing I want you to see about this betrayal, not only was it uh, something that Jesus wanted them to reflect on, but it's also something the disciples had not anticipated. Did you see this? And it's Jesus says again, kind of nondescriptly, he says there in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 18 and 19, he said to them, is it one of the twelve? It is one of the twelve who's dipping his dish with me. Well, Jesus, who is it, man? Come on, this isn't guess who. Do you ever play that game when you were a kid? Guess who, where you had to guess the different things. But we can't play guess who these days because it gets everyone in trouble and makes everyone offended, and that's a whole other topic because you can't ever guess who, who really is. But here's the thing. It reminds us very quickly that none of them said it's Judas. I never trusted that guy. He had a weird look in his eyes. Or he, he, he had some weird glances. It's obvious that Judas had been uh, stealing for some time. We know that from last week's lesson. But it reminds us again to the extent of which a person can give a profession of faith. And that profession of faith seems genuine among God's people. And that person turns out to be one of the biggest sinners that we ever know. Christian, I want to remind you, Jesus mentioned this to them because they did not anticipate it. But I want Amy to put this up. Many will profess Christ, but not all who profess Christ 
possess him, but all who possess Christ profess him. Look, just because you are in a holy church and you walk the aisle, you pray the prayer, you do all the things that people say you should do does not mean you are any more of a Christian than Judas was a disciple. Friend, be very careful. Parents, be very careful. Grandparents, be very, very careful. We want to make sure if someone comes to us and says, I want to be baptized, and what a joy that is, amen? It's a great joy. We want them to know the truth of God's Word. Look, we don't have a problem with Christianity in America uh, telling people about the gospel. It's telling them the correct gospel. Do you understand that? So many people, if, if you went to someone in South America and said, how do you know you're getting to heaven? Most likely their answer would be because I was baptized as a baby in a certain church. But today if you go to someone and you say, how do you know you're getting to heaven? It's because I prayed a prayer and I repeated after a pastor one day and that prayer gave me everything I needed to know to get to heaven. Look, the sinner's prayer doesn't save you, Christ saves you. You can be around people all the time, but part of this plan, according to betrayal, was to shock the disciples into life and say, look, make sure you know you have Christ. Just because you say you're a Christian does not mean you're a Christian. That might have worked 20 years ago when, you know, 8 out of 10 people went to church. You realize that stats say about 3 out of 10 in America go to church, and that's going down time after time after time after time. What are you basing your eternity on? that you wrote your name in the back of the Bible one day because the pastor told you to do that every time Satan came after you that you could look and say on July 1st of 1987, I came to know Jesus Christ. Guys, it, you may have come to know Christ at July 1st, 1987, but you don't possess Christ apart from knowing Christ. Look, I would love to have a super nice fast car. And I can go and put all the pictures up on Facebook about it, but until you see me driving in the church parking lot in that super nice fast car, you probably don't think I possess it. Or if I do possess it, it's probably going to be repossessed after a while because I can't afford the payments. But one thing you need to remember this morning is he asked these questions because he, and he was general because he wanted them all to consider their faith before him. Third thing about this betrayal is this. Jesus tells them these things because there's no limit to the duplicity of the natural heart. There's no limit to the duplicity of the natural heart. Did you see them all say, how can it be me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? He already knew full well, what Judas, what he was doing. But Judas uh, probably said again with them, it's not me. But friends, this is a quick point, but I want you to remember that sin is like gravity. It's the natural direction of the human heart. That Judas can know he's doing this betrayal, but at the same time just be doing naturally what he is. Friends, let's remind ourselves of basic Christianity 101. There are no good people in this world. There are no good people. I say it, you say it, we say it. Man, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. He's a wonderful guy. But really, what does the Bible say, Romans 3? There's none, what? There's none good, no, not everyone but those few people. There's none, not one. And Judas is doing naturally what he will do. He's covering his tracks. And you know he probably believed it, that he really wasn't doing anything bad. He believed it, that the secret sin going on was for the greater good. He, he was kind of a utilitarian, if you want to use that old philosophy language. But Judas had reached a point where he was unable to repent anymore. He was just doing what he naturally was going to do. 
And John 6 says that Judas, Jesus speaking, that Judas was the son of perdition, a, a son of reprobation. Those are big words. But in other words, Judas was never going to come to Christ. He was going to reject Christ. Where is Judas now? He's in the bowels of hell where he always desired to go because he got the way he wanted to go. How do I know that? Jesus said it. Look at John 6, guys. You can go look it up yourself. It's there. But we need to be reminded that there's no natural good within us. And friend, if you're here today and you say, oh, I'll come to Christ someday, friend, there's no coming to Christ unless you plead with Christ because the only one that can change that sinful, rebellious heart is God himself through the power of the Spirit working through his son, Jesus Christ. The final thing I want you to note about this is, is could, could Jesus put this any way, uh, other way? I, I, there's something else here. I mean, did, did Jesus desire Judas to repent? Did Jesus desire this? Now, I want you to get this. I want, I want you just to put on your thinking caps. Can you put those on for just a second? I know it's hot in here, getting hot. It's hot outside. It's almost lunch, getting tired. But 2 Peter 3.9 says that God, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If Jesus knew the plan was for Judas to always be the fall guy, if he was chosen for that task, did he desire that Judas would come to know him? I mean, think about that. I mean, wasn't Jesus who chose him at the very beginning? Do you remember that in Mark 3? Jesus chose Judas. Why would he choose Judas if he knew Judas was going to fall anyway? Think about that. If you knew someone was going to mess up, would you choose him anyway? If you gave someone your greatest investment and you knew they were going to mess it up, your life's work, and you knew they were going to mess it up, how many of y'all would sign that person up to do that job? Probably not many of you. Why? Because you want your work to go forward. Friends, this is why God's ways are not our ways. According to the plan, Judas was chosen, and Peter tells us that God desires all to come to repentance. So did he desire him to do this? Friends, I think it's a reminder, and what Peter said is that no matter how steeped in sin you are, Jesus longs and desires for your repentance. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus put it this way, of giving Judas a general answer, was it was giving Judas one more chance to repent. Do you see the love of Christ there? He gave him one more chance to get it right. He didn't call him out specifically, and the only reason he didn't repent was his own fault. You know, Jesus didn't say to the dying thief on the cross, you, you, you crazy guy, you're no use to me now. Even if you repent, you have no use in my kingdom. I'm not going to do that for you. What did he tell the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. And he received him in open arms. So even in the darkness of the upper room, you see the heart of God, guys not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to Christ. And friends, may that be a reminder for us today. It's true Jesus was a friend of sinners because he was a friend, but he called those friends to repent and believe. You know, there's a thought out there today in evangelism, it's been around for a while, that you can't ever share the gospel with someone unless you first have a relationship with them. Oh, really? Any salespeople in here? Have you ever tried to sell someone something before you've had a relationship with them? That doesn't work very good for your bottom line, does it? It doesn't work very good for your leads. Well, friends, we're not a business, but I want to share with you this morning that 
you don't have to have a relationship to share the gospel with someone. You can have a relationship with someone in five seconds. Hey, how you doing? I know your name. Hi, Leon, how you doing? We just started a relationship. It may not be very deep. He may want to tell me things about him. And I want to tell vice versa. But we have a relationship. Real friends tell people really about Jesus and really call them to repent and believe the gospel in Jesus. That's what real friends do. Real friends do not wait for a convenient opportunity to share the gospel. Friends, it may be that when you share the gospel, you lose friends. You lose influence and you lose family members over it. We say it often here, do not be a J-E-R-K for J-E-S-U-S. Amen? But don't be afraid to stand up for J-E-S-U-S because he's worth everything that you can be rejected for. But I guarantee you that Jesus loved Judas until the very, very end. Even in general common grace, he did. Even though he knew that according to plan, the betrayal was going to go forward. And how easily do we take look at people and say, you know what, you're of no value to me? Psh, see ya, man. You're done. According to plan, last thing, according to plan, not only was it the blueprint, not only was it the betrayal, but finally, and this is where we've been hitting at it all the time, it was according to the Bible. Look back at verse 21, and this is what the Scripture says. Woe to the man of whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him not to even be born. All that happens, happens according to a plan. All that happens here, according to betrayal. And all that happens here is according to the Bible, according to Scripture. Jesus said that the Son of Man must go out as it is written. The Son of Man is, the, is from Daniel 7, is a glorious warrior who reigns in triumph. And now Jesus is fulfilling it right before their eyes. And do you want to see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's here. And it happened according to the act of execution on the cross, because that's the way that sinners are going to be atoned for and redeemed. And friends, and Amy will put this up, but if we want a Messiah who's going to play fast and loose with Scripture, don't go to Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is fulfilling the Scripture. For Jesus, what Scripture says is what God says. If Scripture contained error, then the Scriptures are not what Jesus thought they were. If we think the Scriptures can be wrong and backwards and broken, that's not from Jesus. If we think Scripture speaking is the same as God speaking, that is from Jesus. I have said it so many times here, but if you want to hear God speak, open up your Bible and start reading out loud. You want to hear God speak? Open up your Bible and start reading out loud. You don't need to be in a special whirling dervish mode. You don't need to be in a special mood. You don't have to have the lights just right. You don't have to have the incense candles burning in a special flame. You don't have to have the ambiance of, uh, of, of color coming through. If you want to hear God speak, go right here. Guys, this is it, isn't it? This is our authority. This is our, our, our infallible, inspired, inerrant, uh, sufficient word of God. This is it. And when Jesus says, this is what's going to happen to me, he's not appealing to his own reason. He's appealing to what has already been said by the prophets, thus saith the Lord. What authority do you have to go to someone and tell them to repent and believe the gospel? You have no authority by yourself, but you have the authority of God's word, which tells you to do that. Parents, what authority do you have to discipline children in your home, biblically? Well, legally, you may not have much standing, but scripturally, you have all the standing in love in grace. Church, what do we have as an authority to guide our church? Is it our plans? It's the Word of God. 
And when Jesus says, this is how it's going to be, this is exactly what the Bible has said. Isn't that crazy? Every detail fulfilled in Christ. I mean, we get so excited, and please hear me clearly, this is not an endorsement as such, but we get excited just in a general sense when someone picks seven numbers in some little random game with a ball that gets sucked up and puts a number up there and they scratch it off, you know? We get, we're like, whoa, how'd that person know those numbers were going to work out? You know, we think that's amazing. Or we get that Jeopardy guy like a month ago, the, the, the sports agent who won like 50 Jeopardies in a row. I don't know. I don't have a TV. We don't watch these things. But uh, he won all those things. We're like, wow, how did he do that? It's amazing. Guys, be blown away that all the cosmos met at this event and everything he said came true because that was according to the Bible's plan that he had set forth. What do you have to worry about at home then? What do you have to worry about in your life? If God can take the details of all human history and put them into one moment, how much more can He take care of your moments wherever you are? He can. Guys, as we close, I just want to remind you this morning that not only does God know you, He's loved you, He's taken everything about you, but this man, Judas, can never point the finger at God and tell Him, this was your plan, this was your plan. You have the free will to sin, and you've chosen, I've chosen this. Friends, Judas knew what he was doing. He made a real choice, but God also really chose him. And this is that tension, isn't it? You've struggled with this. We've, we've studied through this, where you have God who knows all things and chooses all things, and you have people who have real responsibilities. It's a both and, not an either or. And let that tension stand. Because God's mysteries are better than us trying to figure it out. Well, Darren, if God, cho- if God knows those who are going to be saved, He's chosen those who are going to be saved, both to salvation and damnation, then why try? Well, because the Bible says go and make disciples of all nations. That's why. Well, Darren, if we have choices to make, can't we share the gospel with someone and change their heart? No, because the Lord says He's the one that does that. Exactly. So what we know, guys, is this. Look, if you fall, if you're here today, let's be theological for a second. If you're here today and you fall in the Calvinist camp, this should not be outside of your bounds. If you're here today and you fall in the Arminianist camp, this should not be outside your bounds necessarily. Probably a little bit more towards the Calvinistic side, but take it for what it's worth. God knows all things. He chooses all things. He sets all things up. You're responsible for your life, your sins, and you stand before a holy God of eternity. How does that all mesh together? I don't know. But what I do know is this. That's what the Bible says. How did Jesus, who could have stopped everything, not stop everything? He's divine, but he's also man. Yet together we have, as the theological term says, the hypostatic union. How do we do these things? Friends, we bow at the feet of Jesus and we say, look, you know. Lord, you're holy. You're worthy. There are things happening in your life where you say, God, I am giving it all I got. I'm giving it all I got. But your plan, God, if it were just better for me, guys, God's plan is the best thing you could ever follow, and you keep being faithful to what he says, you will be okay. Church, we will be okay. Did we solve the Calvinist-Arminius debate today? No. And we're never going to do it. If you have questions about it, remember this. God is in control. And Amy will put up the big idea one more time. I think it's on there, Amy. One more time is this. 
is that God chooses what he does. But events don't determine God's plan. God's plan determines events, and he will use evil to the opposite of what it's intended. Guys, take comfort in that fact. God is faithful. He's on his throne. Let's pray together as we close out today. Lord, as we come before you, we thank you so much, Father, on this tough topic, Lord, but one that's necessary. Lord, we come before you on uh, Sunday where Father, we know that we know the end game. If, if we've grown up in church, we knew this was going to happen. We know Judas is going to betray. We know the disciples are going to question each other. We know you're headed, your son is headed to the cross. We see the end chapters, Lord. We know what happened, Father, intellectually, honestly, academically, in our heads, and our knowledge. But, Father, may these facts never escape our heart. May what we know in our head about this passage apply to our hearts this week. When we are fearful of what decision to make, when we are fearful, Lord, of how to proceed, Father, when we look at the news and just see just junk happening all over the world, may we trust that despite the evil, you are, Father, as you promised, making good out of the mess. Father, we thank you that even though we don't understand how you can choose Father, some and not others, Lord, we remind ourselves that there's none good, and even choosing one is showing your great love. Father, when we look at people who profess to know Christ and yet don't possess Christ, Father, we think how easily our hearts can be swayed as well. But Father, we also thank you that this morning, that if we know Christ, that he who endures to the end will be saved, not through strength of will or power, but by your Spirit who has sealed us until the day of redemption. Father, we rejoice in these things. Father, we don't understand how you can be completely sovereign and, and, and yet give us uh, human responsibility, but we know the Scripture speaks of both, and it doesn't exalt us, it exalts you, but we bow at your feet. Fathers, we pray, we ask that you give us great wisdom of how to live this out this week. Be with our church, Lord, as we, Father, we thank you for the, we celebrate our, our country's birth this week. But, Father, we thank you that you've put us here on this earth. Help us to use our freedoms wisely. But, Father, we pray for sister churches across the world in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, countries where it's legal but frowned upon wherever we are, because one day you are going to pull Revelation 7-9, from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation before us, someone that came to know Christ. Father, how all that works, we just thank you that you are in charge and you call us to go. May we be faithful to the task. Father, we pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.